right. Well, good morning. Uh, if anyone doesn't know me, my name is John. I'm one of the elders here at Bible Baptist. And a few months ago, the elders of the whole decided that we should have a rotation of who preaches on Communion Sunday. We already have a rotation for Sunday school and a rotation for night service. But if you don't go to Sunday school or night service, we thought this would be a great way to make sure that the entire body does hear from the men that God has chosen to shepherd this church. So it's an honor to be here. Uh, in September, you might not remember, but Lenny ran the communion service. And then last month, it was pastor during the Spanish combined service. I have the honor today. And then next week, we'll actually be blessed by Mr. Wood. Uh, we already said that the Woods will be here for the marriage conference. And then, Lord willing, in January, uh, Mike will share with us on communion, and then the cycle will start all over again. So I look forward to hearing from everyone that God has here in the pulpit, but today you got me. And because you got me, you got everything that comes with getting me. Uh, some of you know I'm a, a bit of a manipulator with my words. I'm kind of good at saying things in such a way to provoke a certain response or to force you to think about a certain concept, and while that used to get me in trouble when I was young, I try to use my powers for good nowadays, and I somewhat have to apologize uh, to all of you this morning, because you have all already been manipulated this morning. Sorry, not sorry. Um, last week, as I sat back there with my beautiful wife singing uh, hymns to God, we sang a song that touched my heart in a way that it hadn't before. It's a beautiful song, don't get me wrong, but just it spoke to me that little bit more strongly, that little bit more deeply, I believe, because of what I was going to preach today. In fact, the sermon changed a little bit because we sang that song. So when the sermon was over, I went up to Sean and said, Sean, could you please ask Gabe to make sure that we sing that song again right before I come up to preach? Gentlemen, thank you so much. They did their part. And because you all just sang that song, maybe twice if you were here last week as well, but especially about two minutes ago, I can now ask all of you a question. The question that I ask myself and that I ask all of you is, do you? Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are wondering what in the world I'm talking about because you don't remember what we sang two minutes ago. But we sang, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And to that I do ask, do you? Now, you don't have to respond this time because I do want to ask it on multiple levels. There's an easy yes in that not only do we, but the entire world needs him every millisecond of every hour. We get that pastor. It's preached numerous times on Colossians 1 where we were told that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. That if he took his hands off for just a second, if he turned away just for a moment, if he just needed the tiniest bit of break, everything would cease to exist. The, the world would explode, the sun would fall from the sky, our atoms would, you know, scientists might want to argue that, but they cannot tell us why our atoms do what they do. We know why. Because God, through Christ, holds it all together. So on a very practical and scientific reason, yes, Lord, every hour we need you. Problem is, that's not what the song's talking about. It's not, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. It's a scientific fact that every hour I need you. No. It's a cry of our heart. It's a desperate plea. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And I know some of you answered that very quickly, and amen that you answered that very quickly. But for me, sitting back there, I'm just being honest with you, 
when I look at it from that perspective, the answer would never be no. I would never say, no, I don't need you. But my quickness to answer would be based on my circumstances. That when I'm going through a really tough time, you better believe every hour, Lord, I need you. And I know some of you are going through that right now. I know. I know some of you are in a place. I know what you're going through. You have no problem saying, yes, Lord, every hour I need you. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this problem. I don't know how you're going to answer this. Lord, I need you. And if that's you right now, then amen that you're here. Amen that you said yes. If you did say yes, you're right. You do need him to get through whatever you're going through. But what about the rest of us? What about when there is money in the bank? Maybe not a ton of it, but enough. And there is food on the table. And the kids do seem healthy. I'm not saying in those times we don't need God, but are we as sensitive and are we as in tune with the fact that we need him? I don't know. Again, I only know how I felt. I told you I changed the sermon a little bit because of how God spoke to my heart as I cried out to him, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. In that very moment, it has to be God. He made me picture a fill in the blank. Lord, I blank you. Now, you might want to do this experiment at home. Don't do it now because then you won't be listening to me. But you better believe the words flowed out of me. I was like, you know how sometimes you're sitting there and you're singing, but your mind is right away, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I serve you. Lord, I obey you. Not perfectly, but those are the desires of my heart. I don't know where, Lord, I need you would have landed on there. Not because I don't think I need him, but because need just always seems to be based on the circumstance, based on the moment, based on the now I need you. No, we always need him. So for those of you who answered so quickly, I don't know if it's because you got this down and, and I'm the one who struggles with it. Or because you're going through a difficult time. I don't know. But I do know that this morning, well, the title of my sermon is Lord, I Need You. Okay? That is either the title of a beautiful hymn, great, wonderful, or it's a truth in our heart that I just want to either, I would like to see become more true. This morning in Sunday school, Mike talked about how he desperately needs his wife. And I don't think he meant, I desperately need my wife when my clothes need to be ironed. I desperately need my wife when I need food on the table. I know that's not what he meant. And there were multiple amens in the room. I was one of them. Yes, we desperately need our wives. That's a general truth. But how much more do we desperately need God? Again, if I'm the only one, do you know how awesome it would be if I'm the elder of a church and I'm the only one in the whole church that struggles with remembering I need him? That would be a great problem to have. Oh, my goodness, have 150-plus people help me remember that I need God? I think I might not be the only one who needs to be reminded. Circumstances remind us, but we shouldn't need circumstances to remind us. That needs to be a truth. And remember, we're preparing for communion. We're preparing to remember what Christ did for us. Yes, that should make us think how much he loves us, how much we love him, how thankful we are. But I hope it also reminds us just how much we needed him to do what he did, but continue to need him every day. I'm going to pray. That's what God laid on my heart. We're going to spend some time together, and then we will enjoy communion together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for my weaknesses. Lord, I kind of thank you that I forget that I need you because by definition, it just means you've blessed me so much that I I forget, and yet how horrible is that? I know that's horrible. I, I know that I never want to lose sight of my daily need for you 
or only see it when, when, it's, it, when it's a sick child or a lost job. Or, or Lord, there are people in this church that I know. Lord, they have a different definition of need right now. Lord, there's an intimate, specific, urgent need that they have. Lord, we do pray for Hunter. We do pray for Franz. We do pray for the many, Lord, that I know are crying out to you, Lord, I need you. But Lord, for those of us who just aren't there right now, I still want our cry. Our cry needs to be, Lord, we need you. As long as we love you and we honor you and we serve you, it's Lord, we need you. And I know there might be some in here who need you on a salvation level. Lord, they, they, they just need to be introduced to you and your son. Lord, of course I pray you do that, but only your spirit can do that. It's your children who know better, who do answer so quickly, yes, we need you, but then we look at our life on a random Tuesday and are not sure we're thinking about just how much we need you. Lord, we do. We do. I thank you for laying this on my heart. I thank you for the changes you made so that I really could come up here and share what you are intimately doing in my heart and in my life. And I thank you that I know your word will, will bless this body and will help us conform more to the image of your son. I thank you in advance for the sermon, for the communion, for the potluck, for everything that takes place today. Thank you for blessing us with it. And through those blessings, Lord, as we thank you, I pray that you'll just acutely realize just how much we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we can all stand in honor of reading God's word. Um, again, this is more of a sermon to prepare us for communion. For night service people, it will not be a 55-minute Leviticus sermon. You don't have to worry about that. Um, and we're going to read a very popular passage. It's Matthew 6, 9 to 13. You might not recognize the address, but you will recognize the passage. Uh, normally, you guys stand while I read. Uh, but today, I would like to read it together. So it should be popping up on the screen um, because I'm reading from the ESV. If you want to read in unison with me, then I guess read the screen. But trust me, God will take it in whatever version you choose. Uh, but here we go. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Reading together, please. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if that sounds, I don't mean familiar. I know a lot of us have heard about that, heard that, but familiar from this pulpit, yes. Last September, Pastor did a series on the Lord's Prayer. I know the men's group, and I believe the women's group also did a study on the Lord's Prayer. And I'll be honest, a lot of what I'm going to share today, those seeds were planted through Pastor's sermons and our studies. Um, but for those of you wondering, but wait a minute, where is the rest? That used to be me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Pastor shared that that wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. So the ESV goes by the earliest manuscripts. It leaves those parts out. I'll be honest, rubs me a little bit the wrong way. You know, I, I like that it starts with praise and ends with praise, but it's okay. To be honest, today we're not focused on the praise parts anyway. Yes, God is worthy of our praise, and yes, you can go back and watch Pastor's sermons on those. We are focused on verses 11, 12, and 13. And the reason I say them that way is because each one of them have what Pastor called petitions before God. Things that Jesus said to go before him because we need them. Now, once again, for those of you who still don't get it, I manipulated you again. 
Because unless you didn't read along, which is another story, maybe you didn't sing either. I don't know. That, then that's a different discussion. Why you don't feel like lifting your voice in praise to God, why you don't feel like reading his word, that's a different discussion. But every one of us who read that technically lifted three petitions up to him. Three things that we need him to do for us that I'm not sure we realize because those words roll off our tongues so easily. So that's going to be my focus today. Matthew 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. We'll start with verse 11, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. Very popular verse. I already referred to this, that there's many people definitely in the world, but even in this room right now, who have no problem admitting, yes, I cry that to the Lord. Every hour, I need God to do that for me. Every hour, I need him to give me my daily bread. And if you're like me and you feel like that's a little bold, you're telling God to give you something. These are Jesus' words. Jesus told us to pray this. And I have found that that word give can also be the word grant. And that just makes so much more sense in my mind. Grant us our daily bread. Again, if you think of what a government grant is, it's not really something you work for. It's something you request and hopefully something you receive. Well, Jesus doesn't say hopefully you'll receive it. Jesus says go before God. He's the only one that can give it to you anyway. So go before him and grant him. Petition him for this. Night service people, we just finished the feasts of the Lord. The specific days on the calendar where God says you will stop and remember me for this. Yes, and one of them was the feast of first fruits. That at the beginning of the spring harvest, when those first barley sheaves started coming up, the priest was supposed to take them and wave them before God and say, Listen, Lord, we know the crop hasn't even come up yet, but the crop that comes, we know it's going to be from you. We know you're the one who's going to provide it. We trust that you're going to give us what we need. Pastor talked about how this was an agrarian society. They, 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 they didn't know if they were going to have what they needed until God provided it. So for them, it was a very real Grant us, give us our daily bread, because we're not getting it if you don't give it to us. If you can, again, if that's you right now, please know, claim that. Hold on to that tight. He promises he will give you what you need to get through each day. My heart is more, but what of us who think we already have that? We don't really look at our life right now and think that we need daily bread. I shared in the men's group that I feel kind of guilty even going before God with this because he's given me so much already. How in the world do I ask for more? And yet, it's exactly what Jesus says we are to do. That we are to go before God and ask for our daily bread. So I'd like you to consider two things. Two things for those of us who fall into the trap of sometimes thinking we have our daily bread. I, I hope you see what I'm doing here. I'm not negating that phrase to those who need it. I just think it's... I don't want to say easy. That's a horrible word. Logical to claim that verse when you need daily bread. When you need him to provide something, that verse is there for you. But what about when you don't think you need it? Well, the first thing I'd like you to consider is you're right. You don't need, well, actually, you have daily bread until you don't. Oh, my goodness, do we take things for granted. Oh, my goodness, do we assume that what we have today we're going to have tomorrow. That is such a dangerous thing to do. We treat God, I'm going to speak generally here, like he's our parents. And understand, I know we all come from different situations. Just I'm painting with a broad brush. Our parents provide for us when we're young. 
but then we get old and we kind of provide for ourselves. But, you know, if things go bad, our parents are there. We know they're there when we need them. And some of you can relate to that as an adult child who has had to go to their parents for help or as a parent who has had to provide help for their adult child. You're there when, you need, when they need you, but that's not every hour. No offense, we get a little annoyed if our adult kids kept saying to us, every hour I need this, I need this. You understand? That's not God. God's not, well, I'm here when you need me. All right, you're good for now, but when you need, no. We always need him. We have daily bread until we don't. God drove that home real clear to me just in the last week. In the last week, I had two experiences, neither one of which affected me or was even all that close to me, but that spoke to my heart through here. One, there's an English teacher that I teach with. Don't know her very well at all because I'm math. She's English. I'm pretty sure she had gone through some kind of breast cancer, came out on the other side. Everything seemed fine. She took time off. She came back in. We got an email, I believe, on Tuesday. She passed away. And there were counselors for the teachers, counselors for the students, because to some people, again, I'm just being blatant. I don't want to play on your emotions. I didn't know the person that well. But for those who did, devastated. Gone. And then our neighbor has a nephew whose wife died in his arms. She was supposed to go in for a procedure in a couple days. And again, I don't know all the details. I don't need the details. I don't know if it's, all I know is they were preparing to go in for a somewhat routine procedure. And like two days before, gone. Uh, again, I, I'm not trying to play on your emotions. I'm not. I'm just trying to tell you that, oh my goodness, is it horrible that we wake up every day assuming that the job we had yesterday, we have today. That the health we had yesterday, we have today. That Lord... Listen, when I don't have these things, then I'll come back to you because then I need them. No, the only reason you have them every day is because he gives them to you every day. And when's the last time we thought about that? When's the last time we thanked, Lord, please continue to give me my daily bread? Because it's called daily. He doesn't, here, there's enough for a month. See you in December. No, daily bread. And again, I know some of you might fall into this. I, I don't. Right now, God has been giving me my daily bread on such a consistent basis that, no offense, I start to forget that I need him to give it to me tomorrow. That I know because, well, why won't it be here tomorrow? It's been here for the last whatever. That's disgusting, but I know he knows my heart. I thank him. I thank him for the things he's given me, but I thank him in almost a, a past tense. Thank you for giving them to me because now they're mine. And I, No. Any given day, those things could be taken away. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, oh, I don't want to think about that. John, that's so depressing that tomorrow I might be sick or tomorrow I might lose my job. I'm not trying to depress you, but if you don't like thinking that way, then is maybe that one of the reasons you don't realize you need him? Because you don't like to stop to think about all the things that he gives you might not be there tomorrow. And if you did stop to think about it, maybe you'd be more quick to say, Lord, I need you. Not to give me something. Some of you fall into that category. And maybe we all do at some point, but maybe just to continue to give me something. Let's thank him for the things he's already given us. Let's not take for granted that it's going to be there. But every day, and again, every hour, you know we're not talking about the clock. There's a mindset that we are to have. A mindset that even now, as you're sitting there, admitting within yourself, you know, you're right, all I ever do is ask God for more. I can't remember the last time I thanked him for what he already gave me or even admitted that he doesn't owe me those things. Oh, my goodness, can we take a second, hopefully more than a second, 
say, Lord, thank you for providing my daily bread. Please continue to provide my daily bread. That's not a spoiled brat thing to ask. That's a very humble, Lord, only you. I don't have my job because of how good a math teacher I am. I have it because you gave it to me. I don't have my house because of how frugal I am with my money. I have it because you gave it to me. And if we realize he gave it to us, then why can't we realize the Bible is clear? If he has to take something away to get your attention, he'll do it. And that kind of takes me to my second point. Not only is daily bread there until it isn't, but we need to remember that not all bread is daily bread. Oh, my goodness. The things that we think are important, the things that we think we have to do, right? I have to take that extra shift at work. I have to this. I have to this. Why do you have to? Well, because I need it. Well, if you need it, then I guess you see it as daily bread. But wait a minute, if it stops you from going to church, or it stops you from tithing, or it stops you from being there for your family, do you really think that God defines those things as daily bread? Is it possible that some of us, as we're praying for our daily bread, or to continue to get our daily bread, that maybe we should be praying, Lord, give me only my daily bread? And that doesn't mean bread and water. God does not ask us to be monks on a mountain living on the bare necessities. When I say, God, give me only my daily bread, it means give me only the things that you want me to have. You show me where in Scripture God has ever given his people the bare minimum. You show me. I would love one example. It's a big book. 66 books. You find one where God says, I'm going to give you just enough. No. He always gives us more than enough. But when it's from him, it becomes a blessing. Um, We talked about it again in night service, the Feast of Weeks. Where at the end of the harvest, you didn't just wave uh, barley in front of them. You showed them the bread that you made with that barley. You showed that you were a good steward of what he gave you. If you, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. We have so beyond what you might call daily bread. But in my mind, daily bread isn't defined by what I need to survive. Daily bread is what I need to be who God called me to be. So if I need a house to host a community group and that's God's plan, then I guess that house is part of my daily bread, but I better treat it that way. If I need a good paying job because God laid on my heart to put my kids in Christian school and I have to pay for that, then I guess that good paying job is part of my daily bread, but I better treat it that way. We need to ask God, Lord, if there's things in our life that we think are daily bread and actually aren't, take it away. That's such a hard thing to ask, but think about the consequence. If he doesn't take it away, then aren't you going to continue to be distracted? Aren't you going to continue to think that it's all about you and all about your circumstances? Don't we want to know him better? Don't we want to need him more? So the passage that came to mind, Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The proverb writer cries out, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Can I say there are two people there, hypothetically? He's saying, well, one, one saying, Lord, don't make me so poor that I curse your name, that I blame you, but don't make me so rich that I forget that I need you. Can I say that those are both prayers for daily bread? As far as I'm concerned, This person's praying, Lord, give me the bread that I need so that I don't fall so far that I blame you. And this one's saying, Lord, only give me. That's what it says. Do not, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. There's nothing wrong with riches unless those riches make you deny him and say, who is the Lord? I don't think any of us, I hope, would say, who are you? 
we got to go back to the Edomite conversation that we had a few months ago. I don't think we do that, but do we do that? As we forget that we need him, as we trust in that bank account, as we trust in the health that we have, as we feel like, no, everything's good and it's always going to be good. You might not say that, but if that's the life you're living and you know that it's keeping you from focusing on him, both sides are covered here. The daily bread that we need as well as the daily bread that we want him to limit us to. So that's it. My hope is that every one of us here, again, we all said it. You all read it 15 minutes ago, whenever it was. Give us our daily bread. Guess what? All of us should be saying that, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our needs, regardless of our blessings. We all should be crying out for our daily bread so that we can have what God wants us to have and only what he wants us to have. So that's number one. The number one way that I do need him every hour is to provide my daily bread. Number two, Jesus goes on to say, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Remember, this is Jesus talking here. This is not some sinner crying out, Lord, please forgive me. This is Jesus answering his disciples. They said, how, how should we pray? What's the right way to pray? And after a lot of praise, a lot of praise, he says, well, pray for daily bread. And pray for forgiveness, which on one level makes total sense. Okay, if you have not asked Christ to forgive your sins, see, I'm a math teacher. I'm going to give you a little geometry proof here. If you have not asked Christ to forgive your sins, then your sins have not been forgiven. I don't think you can argue with me on that. If your sins have not been forgiven, then you still need to pay for them. I think so. That word forgiveness is the word release. Okay, sometimes we associate forgiveness with emotion. Oh, I forgive you, it's okay. You know this whole loan forgiveness program? I don't care how you feel about it, that's not relevant right now. But please know that the loan forgiveness program is not where you call up a number and someone says, oh, honey, it's okay. Oh, you don't owe me that. Oh, oh come here, give me a hug. The loan forgiveness program is a release from a debt. So if you have not asked Christ to forgive your sins, then you still have not sins that haven't been forgiven. If you have sins that haven't been forgiven, then those sins need to be paid for. I mean, it's common sense. If you walk out of here without asking Christ to forgive your sins, all you're saying is, that's fine, I'll pay the debt myself. Okay, I guess you don't need him then. If you're willing to pay the debt yourself, then you're right. You don't need him. Now, that results in an eternity in hell. I don't know why you would choose that, but please at least be honest with God and saying, yeah, I get it, I get it. Nope. My choice, I don't need them. Okay. But for those of us who have asked Christ to forgive our sins, oh, Lenny, try to get, read my mind here. How many times do we have to ask Christ to forgive our sins for salvation? Yeah, please don't try to read into what, yeah, once. Once saved, always saved. Why is Jesus telling his disciples, oh, listen, you should ask him every day, every hour, to forgive, to release you from your debts. Why? Because Jesus isn't talking about salvation. If you need it for salvation, if you need that initial forgiveness, okay. But after you have that initial forgiveness, of course we continue to need forgiveness if we want to stay in fellowship with him. Or can I say if we want to commune with him. Right? Commune isn't just a Christian word. There are plenty of people out there who want to commune with nature. Okay, but doesn't that mean you want to be at one with? 
Doesn't that mean that you want to be together with? If we want to commune with God, the fact that I asked Jesus to forgive my sins in fourth grade means that now I can just commune with God whenever I want? Or do I need to keep coming to him, keep asking him to release me from my sin, not because I'm not going to go to heaven, but because it stands in the way of a relationship with him? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is true for any unbeliever to obtain salvation. And it is true for any believer, because it was written to the church, to be in fellowship with him. So yes, we need him to forgive us if we want to be in fellowship with him. I'll talk about that ending in a minute. Let me park that there for a second. But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, period. Remember, Jesus doesn't waste words here. He made sure to get in there and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not forgive us our debts and then we'll forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts so we can, no, at the same time. Lord, as you are continually forgiving our debts, we will be continually forgiving our debtors. Why? Because it's impossible to be in communion with God and hold things against other people. The Bible is very clear about that. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can't. You can't. So Jesus is, remember when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, it's love God and love your neighbor. Yeah, 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 but which one's the greater one? No, no, you can't do one without the other. You can't. We can't have fellowship with God. We can't, but I asked him to forgive me. Well, I know I didn't forgive that one, but that, that's not important right now. This is between me and God. No, it is important. You're lying to yourself if you think that God is going to forgive you from a, from a fellowship point of view. In other words, that, that, you're, that you can abide in him, that you can rest in him, that you're on good. No. The Bible, you're a liar. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. You can't. Yeah, but John, do you know how hard it is to love this guy? Yeah, but John, do you know, I got to forgive that guy? Isn't it easier to just not think about it? Isn't it easier to just kind of let status quo, don't worry, me and God are good, I know this person. Well, if you don't think about it, then you're probably not thinking about how much you need him to help you with it. You better believe every hour, again, in quotes, I hope we don't need him to forgive us every hour. Can we all just have like one good hour now and then? I think we do. I think we have those moments where we can go 60 minutes and not upset God. I hope that the, next, the past 60 minutes of me being up here haven't upset him. But a mindset of, oh, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. You're only going to feel that if you actually want to be in fellowship with him. If fellowship with him doesn't really matter to you, then when you, from, your, from your perspective, you don't need him. Right? Because I already have my salvation. So, so why? Oh, my goodness. I hope that's no one in here. I hope everyone in here, again, if you've already been sensitive to it, that's fine. Oh, my goodness, you can't have fellowship with God without being at least, as much as is in you, live peaceably with all men. Some people can be difficult, but are you doing your part? Are you doing what you can? Many of you know, again, Matthew 6 is not the Lord's Prayer. We know that. 
It's the model that Jesus gave the disciples to pray. The Lord's Prayer was in John 17. It's an entire chapter of a prayer, but I'm just going to read two verses. This is Jesus not telling the disciples what to pray, but praying for the disciples to God. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples who were currently with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants his Jesus' desire is that we fellowship with each other so that we can fellowship with God. They go hand in hand. First John 1, we're not going to turn there. But that's what John says. We write these things so that you can fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father. So again, do you need daily bread? Yeah, whether you realize it or not. Do you need God's hand to help you be in fellowship with him? Yeah. Yeah, it's not just, but I'm a Christian now. I'm his kid. I don't want to step on toes now, but some of us know just because someone's your kid doesn't mean you have a good relationship with them. We need to strive to show God we want that good relationship with him. And Jesus says, yes, pray for that. Pray that God forgive your sins from a, from a fellowship point of view. But while you're doing that, acknowledge he really can't open. God can do anything. But that door of fellowship will not be open if you're not striving to be at peace with those around you at all. So I think if we're honest, maybe we don't think about that as often as we should. And the more we think about it, the more we realize we need God to help us with it. You might be thinking of someone right now, oh Lord, every hour I need you because that person's going to be tough. Well, guess what? I know I was being a little sarcastic there, but it's not. It's very serious. The tougher that person is, the more you might need to go to him, but you need him anyway. Because you don't know what the next hour is going to bring. You don't know who he's going to bring into your life. You don't know what circumstance you might have to forgive or what circumstance you might have to ask forgiveness for. So let's have that mindset. Lord, I do need you for my daily bread. I do need you to maintain fellowship with you. And then lastly, the last thing Jesus tells his disciples to petition God for is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus saying, you want to know what you should ask God for? Ask him to not lead you into temptation. Again, as I preached on this, on the surface, there's a problem with that. How can I pray to God to lead me not into temptation when the Bible's clear that God will not lead me to temptation? It almost shows I don't believe the Bible. James 1, 13 to 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'm not preaching a sermon on this verse, but the best illustration I can give you, or that I can think of, is the alcoholic who drives past a liquor store to get home and then blames God, well, it's your fault. You put the liquor store there. It's not my fault I pulled into the driveway and walked in. You shouldn't have put it there. James is saying, no, 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 no. You don't blame God for that. That's on you. That's your sinful desire. That's your weakness of giving up to it. James is saying, that's on you for giving in. What Jesus is saying 
And I think this might catch a little of us off guard. Jesus, at least in this prayer, is saying, don't pray, Lord, give me the strength to drive past that liquor store. It's, Lord, if you could, please give me another way home so that I don't have to drive past that liquor store. When he says, lead me not into temptation, that word lead is like the word guide. And it's not God saying, come on, you're going into this temptation. No, not at all. But the Bible's very clear, especially with the Israelites. That there were times that God said, fine, I tried to warn you. You want to go down that road? Go. Go. Watch what happens. God says he'll do that. He won't lead you into it, but he won't necessarily stop you from going. And Jesus said, our prayer should be here. No, Lord, please. Don't even let me go there. Don't even let me face the temptation, because if I don't face the temptation, I don't have to worry about giving into it. It almost sounds like a cop-out. No, John, no. You're supposed to pray for the strength to endure the temptation. You're supposed to pray for victory over the temptation. Look, God can do those things. He's done them in my life. There's things that I was struggled with when I was younger that he has given me victory over now, and I'm not even tempted by those things anymore. But can we all relate to those times when we struggle with something and we pray for strength, and then the next time it happens, we, we, do, we do good. We bite our tongue when normally we would say something. We turn the TV off because we know we shouldn't be watching it. We say something or do something that we wouldn't normally do. Doesn't that feel so good? Doesn't it feel so good? We're like, oh, good, I got this. And then the next time it happens, you fall into the temptation. It's so crushing. I don't understand. I thought I had victory here. You had victory in the moment, yes. But it doesn't work that way. It's not a switch. Lord, give me victory over this temptation. He can. But Jesus is saying very clearly right here, listen, you're weak. It's better to just pray that you not even go down that road. And I don't know how many of us do that. I'm reminded of Matthew 26, 41, when Jesus is praying in the garden, yes? And he asks his disciples to pray with him. And they try, but they fall asleep. So he wakes them up and he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Stop there a second. This is just me. I don't have any Greek to back it up. But I always interpreted that as watch and pray. Because if you do those things, you won't fall into temptation. Now I'm almost wondering if Jesus is saying, and watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because for those of you who know the story, I can almost picture the disciples falling asleep, feeling so bad. Okay, we're not going to fall asleep. We're going to watch and pray. We're, we're going to watch and pray. We're going to watch. And next thing you know, they're out again. I wonder if Jesus was saying, no, specifically pray that you not even feel tired. Instead of trying to fight the urge to fall asleep, ask God to take that urge away from you. Again, part of me feels like, but, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. We can, but how often we don't. They're called temptations for a reason. And yes, that word temptation can also mean trial. I'm fine with that. The point is, yes, the Bible says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, but it doesn't say you should ask for them. It doesn't say that you should show what a Christian you've become because look at me. Oh, my goodness. This is not easy. And I very much believe that Jesus here is saying, pray to God, Lord. Again, I know it says lead me not, but no, no. Lord, don't allow me to go down a road that I naturally would want to. Don't, put, don't allow me to be in a position where I now have to decide, am I going to make the right choice or not? Because so often I'm not going to make it. And before you say that's not you, Paul admits it's him. 
The Apostle Paul says, the things I hate to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. It's tough. He's called our shepherd for a reason. He's our father. He uses that word for a reason. He's our creator. He's our Lord. He's our savior. And he specifically says he's our shepherd, which makes us sheep, which makes us stupid, dumb. You put whatever words you want there. God didn't have to use that analogy. Do you understand? But I really believe what Jesus is saying here is, listen, humbly admit, Lord, I, I can't do this. If I have to go through the trial, I will, but I'm naturally going to want to go that way. And please keep me from going that way. Uh, shout out to my son because he reminded me of Matthew 18, 7 through 9. I, I hadn't thought of this. But woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. <coughs> it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. I know this is talking about going to hell. I get it. And again, some of you need to realize that, potentially. That if there are things in your life that are stopping you from accepting Christ as your Savior, stopping you from asking him to forgive your sins, you need to get those things out. He's not really telling you to mutilate yourself. He's using examples. If your hand's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your foot's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Your eye, pluck it out. But isn't that true for Christians, too? Couldn't he easily say, and if there's something out there causing you to sin, pray that you can get victory over it. Pray for the strength to... He doesn't say that. Now, when we're in it, yes. When we're in it, the Spirit will give you what you need. God will not give us more than we can... I'm not even going to finish that because I understand there's ways to take it. But the point, he will always give us a way of escape. But isn't it better to not need a way of escape? As good as it might feel at the end of the night to put your head on the pillow and say, wow, thank you, Lord. You helped me handle that situation well today. Could you imagine going through a whole day and saying, thank you, Lord. Like, I wasn't even tempted by that today. This, that didn't even happen today. Whatever it might be, he's saying, listen, it's better to just get rid of it. And I don't know, but don't we need God to do that for us? Because as long as we think that it's our strength, Lord, I can endure this temptation, then maybe I don't need him. But oh my goodness, I need him to make sure that I don't even find myself in the path of the temptation. Psalm 19:13, we read this last week for Leviticus for a different reason. But it says, "Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins." Today I just want to focus on that keep back. I almost picture when there's a crime scene, right? And the police are like, "All right, keep back, keep this open while everyone else is trying to get in and trying to take a picture and trying to Lord, keep me back from that. Don't don't even let me go down that road." Do we pray that? Do we pray, "Don't even let me encounter the temptation at all or do we not pray until we're in it or even more do we not pray until we gave into it and now we're facing the surf oh lord please i need you help me I... look he's there for you when you give into the temptation he's there for you while you're deciding to give into the temptation but jesus is saying yeah but why don't you just pray that you never face it in the first place i'm glad he's saying it because if jesus wasn't saying it i would call it a cop-out oh you just don't want to hide jesus says you're sheep the best thing you can do is ask that you not be led into temptation and delivered from the evil one. We don't control that either. We need him for all of that. There is a certain level of humility 
in admitting, Lord, I am afraid. I know I want to get better at this, but I'm afraid that if you put me in that situation, I'm not going to, Lord, if possible, help me not even be in that. That's tough because we're proud humans. We're proud Christians. I challenge any of you who take notes and actually keep them, and that's a knock on me too. I don't always keep them. You go look at like the last five sermons slash Sunday schools I've preached, humbleness or humility is on all of them. And last week, our guest speaker, right? Don't be arrogant like the Pharisee. Be humble like the... I'm really wondering what God's trying to tell me. I feel like every time I turn around, he's like, oh, and John, make sure you're humble. Oh, and John, make sure you're the... I, I literally prayed this week, Lord, I, I think I'm humble. I, I, I try to be humble. I don't think I'm proud. I think that's what he laid on my heart. Well, then don't get proud about your humility. Really, like that's, I'm not saying it was him, maybe it was my, but yeah, it, it's so hard. It's so easy, and all right, I got this. I can do this. All right, Lord, let's go. We got this. Jesus is saying, no, 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 he's got this. Let your shepherd guide you. He's not going to purposely lead you into temptation, but if you want to go that way, there's times he'll say, fine, right? Like the parent just says, don't touch that, don't touch that, and sooner or later, okay, touch it. No, Lord, I don't want to go that way. I don't trust that I'm going to handle this correctly. If I'm in that situation, I'll try my best to handle it correctly, but I'd rather not even be there, which takes us back to Proverbs 30, remember? Not, Lord, when I have nothing, remind me. No, no, Lord, don't even let me have nothing. Because I'm afraid if I have nothing, I'm going to curse you. And I'm afraid if I have too much, I'm going to forget you. So don't even let me go there. Yeah, I can't say I really pray that way. When a temptation comes, I pray, Lord, help me overcome this temptation. I start singing a song to myself. I start reciting scripture. Those are good things to have. But how about praying, Lord, help me not even think about that today. Help me not even turn that on. Help me. I know we can't really get rid of our computers or so, but you know what I mean. Well, I got covenant eyes for a reason, for those of you who know what it is. Let, let's put things in place so that we're not even put in that position. I believe that is the third thing. That Jesus is telling you. So that's pretty good for me. I think I did pretty good. Right? Do we need him? Yes, every hour we need him. And does the list go on? You can fill in the blank with anything you want. But according to the prayer that we all recited, and that Jesus said we should recite on a consistent basis, you need him for your daily bread. To either provide it, to keep providing it, or to trim the fat, if I can word it that way, and take out the things that aren't daily bread and are actually keeping us from serving him the way he created us to do. We need him for fellowship. We need him to forgive us, but we also need him to humble our hearts so that we can forgive those around us. And we need him, again, to shepherd us. That, that's the only way I can think of it. I don't think of myself as a sheep. I, I'm sorry, I do think of myself as a semi-intelligent person. But from a spiritual point of view, mm -mm. it's that intelligence that I think I have that gets me in trouble all the time. So, Lord, please, lead me not into temptation. Don't let me go where I'm naturally going to want to go. And then we don't have to worry about whether we handle it correctly or not. All right, so we're going to pray. We're going to enjoy communion together. And I pray that God spoke to each of our hearts. Lord, I do thank you. Uh, uh, it's hard. It's hard to put into words what's on the speaker's heart, Lord. I know how you've spoken to me. And if you speak a different shade of what I said to someone else, Lord, I get it. Not everyone's where I am. Not everyone needs to be reminded of what I need to be reminded of. 
said, oh, my goodness. His disciples asked your son how to pray, and this is what he said to pray for. After we praise you at the beginning and after we praise you at the end, Lord, you are. You are our daily bread. You give us what we need. You continue to give us what we need, and sometimes you allow us to have more than we need, and it gets us in trouble. Lord, take it out. Take away that opportunity for overtime if it's stopping us from going to church. Take away that kid's soccer thing if it's keeping our kid from being in church. Lord, whatever it is, give us what you define as our daily bread, what you want us to have so that we can be good stewards that you created us to be. Lord, thank you that we can cry out for forgiveness of our sins on a daily basis. Thank you for all the time Sean starts his prayers that way, Lord, with Again, we get used to things. We kind of forget they're there. And it does stand in the way. We forget that we need that constant forgiveness and that we need to show that constant forgiveness to others. And then, Lord, I know temptations are going to come. Even if we pray for them not to, they will. But the more we pray for them not to, Lord, the, the more we can see you work in our life. Give us a different road home. Give us... We just have to ask. We don't ask because we... We're self-defeatists. We just assume we're going to give into it anyway, and we don't even ask you to, to just lead us not into temptation. Lord, I don't know if I explained that well, but I know your spirit can speak to each heart. And again, Lord, my heart is always for the church, for my brothers and sisters. But if there's anyone who needs you on that initial salvation level, I know if you're speaking to their heart, that's you speaking to their heart. Not my words, it's you working through them. We would be so honored as a body to play a role in that, to answer questions, to give more insight, to, to do whatever necessary for those who really do need you. Lord, need you to save them from a, an eternity in hell. Lord, I pray that they'll open their hearts to you, open their minds to you, and, and realize what an amazing gift you're offering that so many of us have received. And Lord, we know you desire for everyone. Lord, as we have communion now, I, I do pray. Help us come in. Help us give over to you things that maybe we're not always willing to. Help us see the importance of being in fellowship with you, at least striving to be, so that this communion really can serve the purpose that we want it to. We thank you, and it's in your name. Amen. Amen. All righty. So as the men come forward to help me observe.